All right, we have made it to week four. The end of the summer, as far as I'm concerned, getting ready to officially head back to school this coming week, start the 23-24 school year. So I want to talk about that start and, and give a little context into you know public schools versus private schools. There's some things that I've observed this week, read about this week that I want to talk about in terms of the differences between the two. Um, I've got my guest, my brother, uh, Jamil McGinnis, who is a, an assistant principal back in the Garden State in New Jersey. He's going to be joining us for office hours. But I want to start with kind of my outlook on the public versus private debate. So I am someone who enjoyed the best of both worlds when it comes to my education. My parents made the distinct decision, put me into an independent school, Germantown Friends, when I was in the kindergarten. And I stayed there all the way through eighth grade before going to uh, public magnet school in Philly, the best public magnet school in Philly as far as I'm concerned, the great Central High School. Shout out to the class of 254, the 254th graduating class. And there were differences. And I think those differences have helped shape who I am to this day and my understanding and approach to education. So from my early private school years at GFS, I took away and understood the level at which people take their academics seriously and came to understand the highest levels of academic competition. When you are in the pool with academic outliers and how they move and how seriously they take their education and the way that families will support the uh, excellence of that education, whether it be supplemental classes, whether it be enrichment programs uh, and the extracurriculars for sure. So that was something that I learned and, and uh, you know took in by osmosis early on um, in my independent school experience and also the window to the future. So there are colleges that I was aware of just from seeing uh, upper schoolers at GFS rocking their sweatshirts when college decision time came. And so I came to understand the network of, of excellent schools that exist in this country um, besides, you know, just what I was seeing on TV um, when I was watching college sports. So those were things that to this day, I can credit my independent school experience to. And then when I moved to public school, you know, a massive public school Central was. Uh, I remember my class when I first arrived at Central, uh, took up the whole auditorium, some 800 students. And then little by little, I uh, got whittled down. I mean, I ultimately graduated with about 500 in our class. Um, but that was still massive. And we were all in this high rise uh, building. It was not the sprawling campus that my uh, the GFS was. And so you're navigating up and down stairwells and figuring out how to get to class and avoiding crowds. And you're seeing um, people who are much older and trying to find your way. And so there was a great socialization that took place going to a big public high school versus staying um, at GFS where my graduating class was you know, around 80 um, in 95. So you know, you see the difference there. I also had to figure out how to navigate, you know, not just in the classroom, but off campus. So, you know, you were allowed to have um, the freedom to to go off campus 
uh, for lunch. And as you started to drive, you had that much more responsibility. So navigating and moving around the city was something that, you know, public school gave me and, and being able to, you know, develop some some level of street smarts. Same was actually true at, uh, at Germantown Friends, uh, because even though it was an independent school, you stepped outside those gates, you were still in Germantown and you couldn't just be walking around as if, you know, the GFS bubble was going to protect you. So those two experiences helped me understand that there is excellence both in private and public schools, but it looks different. Um, I was much more aware in my public school of the stratification that happens in schools. You know, there was a different look to my AP classes versus my non-honors classes at Central. And so it, it forced me to get to know a lot of different people and being able to move in and out of a lot of different circles. Um, and so these are things that I understand when I look at a campus today um, and things that I talk with students about. And then when I fast forward to, you know, my professional choice to to be in private schools, it really came down to the idea that after going to so much school, so bachelor's, master's, and ultimately uh, a doctor, I really wanted to be in a, you know, an educational situation where I would be able to utilize all the tools in my tool belt without restriction. And so I know there are many school districts that, you know, for whatever reason, um, try to standardize lesson planning or have a very strict curriculum that they do not want deviated from. And for me, these were turnoffs. These were not things um, that I wanted to deal with. And going, you know, into private schools and certainly where I am now, the ability to pursue education, better myself professionally without having to worry about resources being available is a wonderful thing. Um, something that I would wish for all um, educators. It's funny, though, that, you know, my, my dad always talks about how, you know, if he had been, he was a public school educator, as was my mother. If he had been in private school his whole career, you know, he would have been that much better um, of a teacher because he would have had all the tricks that he learned in public school to make things happen uh, curricularly for his students, but with the added uh, resources at hand, he would have just been able to take it to another level. So I don't I don't disparage public school teachers at all. In fact, you know, I you know bow down to them because I know in many cases what they're up against, particularly the school districts that are underfunded, under resourced. Um, but for me and my sanity, it has been um, much better. And there's I found greater purpose in using my background to be an independent school setting. So having laid that out, I want to take a break. And then when I come back, I want to get into, you know, what I'm seeing currently um, in public schools that that really concerns me as we get ready to start the next school year. All right, we're back. So like I said, I've been gearing up for the 23-24 school year. And as I've been watching the news, as I do uh, in the mornings, it's been really interesting, eye-opening, disturbing to read about the number of districts 
that are experiencing delays in the start of the school year have had to decide to delay the start of the school year because they do not have enough bus drivers. Um, and so these driver shortages um, in places all over the country, so this isn't just an urban thing, it's not just a rural thing, it's an everywhere thing. These driver shortages are making it so school districts have had to redraw their routes. And in some cases, like in Louisville, you know, early on, these routes were making it so students weren't getting home till, you know, late, late in the evening. Uh, in some cases, buses weren't showing up. And so, again, Louisville in particular has decided to, you know, halt the start of the school year or de delay the start of the school year until they can figure that out. And so it's just one of these things that I look at and I just wonder how is there not enough resources in public school districts where the schools are full and they're not um, experiencing student shortage that the resources are not being allocated so that you have this basic need taken care of you know in many instances public schools are funded you know uh, and are by attendance and so the more bodies in the building the more funding they get so it becomes that much more imperative to make sure that students can have a safe passage um, into the school. And it just kind of underscores, you know, how in many cases, you know, school is very much a business, even though, um, you know, at, at the purest would consider it uh, a service. But this is a problem that, you know, really, really calls for a shakeup. Um, in the model, um, whether it is, you know, making bus drivers full time employees. Um, and if you're a school district who's contracting out with a transportation company, uh, making sure that they are making, you know, a kind of living wage that allows uh, and draws bus drivers, because that seems to be one of the big issues. You know, the pay is not such that it is attractive, even for those companies who you know, will train you for free. If you're only making, you know, $20 an hour um, and perhaps, you know, the mean uh, that I read in an article is about 42000 a year, that's not a living wage in many places, certainly not here in LA. So, you know, whether it is forcing transportation companies to do better on their, their pay scale or in cases where the transportation is in-house, you know, making sure that bus drivers are getting benefits, um, which is always expensive, but again, with such a important service, it only makes sense that you would make sure that you can recruit um, the type of people who can fill uh, this job because it is a very important job. The other means that you know perhaps needs to be looked into is the creative ways that you know transportation is being provided today. So perhaps it is not just school buses, you know. There are companies such as Hop, Skip, Drive that, you know, focus in on and specialize in transporting children. So maybe um, school districts partner in that way. I know there are school districts that partner with local taxi companies um, and taxis have, you know, kind of in many ways gone the way of the dinosaur, given the prevalence of ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft. So perhaps that is a way um, for taxis to find utility. But either way. It should not get to the point where schools cannot start and children cannot go to school who need to go to school 
um, because they do not have proper transportation. So I'll be checking in and continuing to look out for this um, because it is it is quite a disappointing story. And again, it's something that's pervasive across the country. So Louisville you know, has been most notable, um, but there are certainly districts in places like Chicago and Virginia and here in California that are experiencing the same thing. So we will continue to keep an eye out for that. Coming up, a treat, my brother, in more ways um, than one, Mr. Jamil McGinnis will be here in office hours. We're gonna give you a forewarning. You know, our connection wasn't the greatest, perhaps potentially because of this storm that has hit California. So, you know, some of it, some of the some of the audio may sound a little raw, like a like an early Wu-Tang track, but I encourage you to hang in there because uh, he uh, is someone who drops, you know, real truth and is you know forthcoming with his views. So I think you'll get something out of the interview. So that is coming right up. All right, so we are here in the office hours this week with my brother. So we're not even going to get into crazy introduction and stuff. Just know that he's an assistant principal in the Garden State, New Jersey. I can't think of anybody I'd rather talk to when it comes to public education. Set me straight, talk about what it looks like um, on the ground when you think about some of these policies that are impacting public schools across the country. My brother, Jamil McGinnis, welcome to Taking Notes with John Carroll. How are you, family? Man. I'm doing great, brother. You know, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was I was driving yesterday, and I was thinking about like oh, some of the like vision, right? I was thinking about vision, and I was like, you know, there's different definitions, and there's different um, avenues to friendship, right? And I was like, you know, there is there's always existed a sort of counterbalance between you and I, right? And and when I was when we were young and I was and I was a fearless hothead and it kind of came up when the situation happened down in uh in Alabama and I was like yo I was like you know part of the reason that I'm here part of the reason that I've been able to kind of do some things in my life and 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 have some of the success obviously you know my parents great parents I had great parents and we were very privileged and fortunate in that and they and they were tough and they held me accountable but sometimes when your peers in a certain direction, and you have a tendency to go in another direction. You need those peers to direct me. And there's so many times when you know my fearlessness and my hotheadedness was about to get me and get us <laughs> in a jam, and, and and all it took was a little be like, yo, no, let's go, like, yo, let's go, let's go, and. I think about those times, man, because you know, growing up in Philly, man, you can easily, you can easily got into some stuff that wasn't where our path was leading, you know. And I think about how you can have friends. My, my parents always show you friends, and I show you your future. And as it's saying, also think about we always, you and know, I had conversations that were different from the rest of our. And that's what I'm trying to do, and they're all successful in their own right. But I, I, I remember, I always thought it was interesting. You always had a vision. Like you used to always tell me, like, I'm going to be Dr. John Carroll, right? 
and you used to always like we used to always have those kind and I wasn't having those conversations with anybody else. And so what that did in, in a way is that made me kind of like look at my academics, look at what I was doing and being like, you know what? Like if my man is over here talking about he gonna do this. Let me let me just let me just go ahead and let me go ahead and get these A's, man. Let me go ahead and let me go ahead and do what I'm supposed to do, right? And and, and so sometimes your friends, man, can be that can be that motivation to get you to where you need to be. And and and, and you always focus, you always have a vision, you always thought big picture, which is rare for young people, right? Because 16, 17, 18 years old, most but you always had a vision. Now I'm gonna get these grades. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna stop at one degree. I'm not gonna stop at two. I'm gonna be Dr. John Carroll, right? And 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 to me, that was unique. And as I played those conversations back in my mind, I wasn't having those conversations with anybody else. And they had an effect on me because now I'm starting to think big picture. Now I'm starting to think long term, right? And so again, like part of the reason that I sit in the seat that I'm sitting in, whether you knew it or not, is partially because of what. Of, of your of impact on me as a friend, as a peer. And, and you know, look, counterbalance is what it is, right? Sometimes, you know, it paid to be fearless. And and it paid for me to step up and be like, nah, if you got, you know, if, 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 if my energy was needed sometimes. But Absolutely. I think in many ways, your, your energy was needed to keep me, you know what I'm saying, moving in the right direction. And, 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 and I look at where we've landed today, and I look at where you've landed today, and it's, it, it is not an accident, you know, to your audience that's listening. It is not an accident that you are where you are because you always had vision. You always had the vision of being the person you are. You always had the vision of, of, of moving in a direction that was productive. You always had a, a, a vision of being the father and the, and, the, and, the, and the husband you are. So all that, man, like, you, you, you know, you don't, you don't realize, you know what I mean, impact you have on on your friend who may or may not be a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> so, so I, I, just, I just wanted to give you your flowers in that, in that sense, man, because you know, it, it enabled me to kind of, you know, you know, think in the way that you were thinking, you know, because because again, we kicking it, we 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 together all the time. I mean, high school, we're together all the time. So it starts to, you know, it starts to rub off on you, and and and. Again, I had parents holding me accountable. I had adults holding me accountable. But I feel like sometimes coming from your peer, especially your your the number one guy that you are with all the time, you know, having those conversations, driving across town and being like, nah, Neil, I'm you know, I'm trying to go over here to this Ivy League school and I'm trying to go over here and do this and do that. And I'm like, cool. I was just, you know, I was just thinking about going to practice tomorrow. All right. Like, <laughs> so, it, it, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate you for that. I wanted to give you your flowers for that, man. I appreciate it. And listen, this is this is not going to be the only time you ever grace these airwaves with me. So that is that is good for laying the groundwork. We are brothers many times over uh, from the locker rooms of PDR swimming at Marcus Foster in Philly uh, to fraternal brothers. And 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 it goes on from there. So I, I appreciate that. And it goes so it goes right back at you. Um, the admiration and respect, um, because in, in many ways, your fearlessness absolutely rubbed off on me, right? And, and in, in times when I needed to be a little bit more aggressive and assertive, you know, I could draw draw on your energy. So it definitely goes goes both ways. And I definitely think, you know, it has led you to be able to ascend as an educator that much faster um, where you are because, 
you know, the energy you bring to the table is necessary. So, so I want to start question wise with what do you make of sure. you know, these attacks on AP history, AP African-American history in yeah. particular, right? Cause you have, you've been in those trenches in particular. Um, so how do you make sense of the fact that these attacks in Florida and now Arkansas with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and other yeah. States are, are directed squarely at AP African-American history and not some of these other uh, AP courses that deal with ethnicity. Yeah, it's wild, right? Um, so the fact that, first of all, it, it's gaslighting at its finest, right? What we're dealing with is um, the recent or semi-recent phenomenon uh, of gaslighting people as it pertains to racism, right? Um, we go back historically, obviously it was blatant, it was in your face, right? And then as we were growing up, things like affirmative action and, and we seem to be kind of moving in the right direction. And then obviously last President Obama and this uh, panic among white America as they look at uh, black and brown progress and they look at uh, um, black and brown achievement, they look at black and brown numbers growing, right? And so there's this panic from white America. Um, and so gaslighting. Um, I, I, what it is, is it, I, I feel like it's a two-pronged atta attack, John. I, I think it's, um, on on one hand, you have people like Sarah Huffy Sanders who know exactly what they're doing, right? She knows exactly what she's doing. Ron DeSantis knows exactly what he's doing. These people are educated. Uh, these people have been outside of their uh, sort of Confederate, <laughs> their Confederate echo chambers, if you will, they know exactly what they're doing. They know what they're doing is wrong. Um, it is not a coincidence that European AP history was not eliminated in Arkansas. Um, and so the, the, the danger is in leading the people who don't read, right? And that is, and that to me has been one of the biggest problems uh, with this whole attack. You have people who are educated and are doing it for political gain, doing it for financial gain, et cetera. Um, but they are leading a group of people who don't read, who don't have any knowledge and understanding down a path of venom and vitriol. And that is what's dangerous. Um, you know, so it's gaslighting. We're going to take away all of the benefits of AP African-American history. We're going to not pay for the course. We're going to take away the credit. Uh, but we're not going to eliminate it. So now you can go take a hard course, right? You can go take this hard-ass course and not get any... <laughs> and not get any credit. Well, no one's going to do it. You and I wouldn't even do it. As as black scholars, we wouldn't even do it. Wait, we're not getting any credit for this? Nah, like I'm not doing this, right? So there is there's a, there is a, a, a surreptitious but not so surreptitious uh, gaslighting concept happening here, right? There is a um, uh, a, a an attack on um, telling the truth. There is an attack on individuals discovering the truth. Um, there is an attack on um, telling our nation's history as dark and as awful and as vicious and as venomous as our history has been. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but in her very state, they used to make uh, postcards of lynchings, right? Um, and, and they used to cut the ears and the genitals up of black men and, and sell them as souvenirs. Uh, and so they don't want this information out. Um, 
And you know, it, it, it boils down to the concept of, of 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 gaslighting. It boils down to the concept of if you hide history from people, maybe when it's convenient, you can repeat it, right? Um, so there's that energy, and I also think there's this concern uh, of white comfort, right? And that's something that I actually deal with when I deal with my teachers um, and some of these issues. Um, there is such a concern with white people, white children being comfortable. And so having a discussion about um, the genitals being mutilated of a black man swinging from a tree is uncomfortable for them. And I always chuckle to myself and I say, well, no one ever asked how uncomfortable it was to discuss Christopher Columbus, right? No, no, one, ever, no one ever asked us how, how uncomfortable it was for us as black children to have to sit there and listen to all these dead presidents who were slave owners and, and how great they allegedly were, right? No one, no one ever did that. No one ever said, hey, you know, are you comfortable learning about this homicidal maniac named Christopher Columbus, right? So uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is obvious, it is tragic. And the, the sad part about it is, is that those who are not educated, those who are not um, fortunate to have two parents as teachers as you did, or two parents who were educated and, and, and taught me what's really happening as I did. So I don't know, whatever, first grade, second grade, when we came home talking about Christopher Columbus, you know what I'm saying? Big John and, and Emily Carroll, like, nah, that guy was a, that guy was a, that guy was a, that guy was a homicide maniac, right? When I came home from elementary school talking about Christopher Columbus, right? Ron and Carlita McGinnis were like, nah, 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 right? But not everybody has that, right? And so, and so that is what's dangerous, right? You have educated people like DeSantis and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, their, their tricks are not going to affect me or you or our children because we are educated, we read, we can simply sit down and tell Alexia and Isaiah, this ain't right, this ain't true what they're saying. But what about the people that are not educated on both sides and that are literally depending on our public education system for the totality of their education. Part of our education came at home, right? But what about kids who are who are literally dependent upon the schools yes. for everything, right? And that is what's scary, man. And you look at a poor state like Arkansas, right? And I don't want to insult the people of Arkansas because it's systemic, but you have a poor, in some ways, backward state like Arkansas, and you have this woman, I believe, is she Ivy League educated? I believe probably. Ivy League educated. Probably. And you have her leading these people down this dark path. So what she'll produce is a bunch of black children who have no idea of what happened unless their parents are learned enough to inform them. And you'll have a bunch of white children who will never understand some of the things, some of the horrific things that's taken place in that very state. And that is what is is very scary. Yeah, and I want to pull on that a little bit more because we try to, you know, both state the problem and make clear what the problem is and then offer, you know, solution because it, it can't all be dark and bleak. So as you're dealing with these types of gaslighting issues um, in schools, what re- what do you help your teachers understand that they have recourse to do? So um, first I'll go back to my um, experience. So I had an experience a few years ago when I was still in the classroom teaching English uh, we were getting ready to do To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and I was doing the contextual background of To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Alabama during the 1920s, right? 
And so I was giving uh, the, the, my students um, the background and we were going through an exercise and, 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 and part of the exercise includes some imagery of some lynchings. Now, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that Alabama in the 1920s had some damn lynchings, right? So, so I'm going through it and sure enough, I had this apparent uh, start sending me emails and then sent the principal and vice principal emails and we had a meeting. And I had, I had the backing of the superintendent, I had the backing of the, the principal or whatever. And, you know, they I don't want my daughters, uh, uh, you know, seeing this and lynching. And then I just thought to myself, you know, well, how awful is it for me to see or any black child to see that very end, right? This is what happened. And so what you need, first of all, is you have to have individuals on an administrative level that understand and are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with parents. Um, you have to have administrators uh, that are willing uh, and able to explain why these things are necessary. Right? In order for me to create a, a, a accurate representation of what was happening in Alabama in the 1920s, I have to give you some uncomfortable things. Right? I have to. I can't just say, Oh, it was depression and no one had any money. Okay, that all, that's, that's true. But also for Black America, it, it, it was a whole different ballgame, right? In addition to the financial issues, right? What's the saying, JC? Uh, when, when America has a cold, when White America has a cold, Black America has pneumonia, right? So, so, so I had to, you know, I had to, and I, and I wouldn't be doing my job as an educator otherwise. So I think the first solution is superintendents, or start to the government level, right? Because how could be is the polar opposite of what our governor here in New Jersey is doing. So once again, I guess it all serves back voting <laughs> because we almost lost. We almost lost over here in New Jersey. So yeah. things will be in a different way over here. But Governor Murphy uh, starts with having uh, a, a fair-minded, progressive governor, and then an education commissioner, and, and on a very local level, it starts with your superintendent. Um, and your and your building administrator is supporting you in telling the truth. Now, um, as it pertains to kind of the teachers on the ground, um, you know, the conversations are, you know, really common sense conversations, right? Um, and it really is based in if you work to if you if you represent yourself as a history teacher or an English teacher, which is obviously in a lot of, in, in, in history. Then what you have to do is you simply have to tell the truth. Good, bad, or indifferent, you simply have to tell the truth. And I'll, and I'll give you one example. When I taught, uh, and you know, I had a, a, a background in TV radio. When I was teaching journalism, one of the things I always talked to my students about was the truth doesn't care about your feelings. The truth doesn't care about what you want to be true. It, it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And we moved into this bizarre this bizarre era of people saying, I don't believe the truth, which is absolutely insane. So it, it really is kind of a circular argument, right? It's like, do you have the support? Do you have the structure in place? Do you have the backing? And then on, a, on the ground level, are you telling individuals exactly this? And so again, I don't know the political opinions of all my students, Right. Um, but if you're in my journalism class, I don't care. And I'm not editorializing. This is what happened. Period. Right. 
And 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 so we would always deal in that. And so um, I think that is part of what needs to be done. Um, but I, I think the solution is, I, I hate to say it, because you know we're not necessarily talking politics, but you have to put the people in place at the very top who want to tell the truth, because it is a filter down or trickle down effect. And fortunately in New Jersey, we have a governor uh, who is into telling the truth, go figure, right? And so it has, it has, it has trickled down. And so I was able to sit there and, and deal from a position of strength in dealing with these parents who were uncomfortable with these images of our people being lynched, which was, which was, which was really ironic to me. I want to stay on parents for a second because, you know, parents' bill of rights has become a thing. Uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, yeah. for example, ran on that, and that was part yeah. of his winning strategy. So so my question for you is, like, how do you thread the needle so that parents' bill of rights don't run amok and become a thing where parents are actually doing more of the dictating than partnering with school districts yeah. when it comes to what's happening in the classroom? Yeah. So... um and our here in New Jersey, it's basically um, limited as to what parents can pull their kids from. Mm -hmm. um, certain segments of sex ed, right? Health class and dissection in terms of science. Yep. Um, you can you can opt uh, out, right? Um, I am actually okay with the opt out part of parents' rights if you are a parent who wants your child to remain deaf and blind figuratively, then be my guest. Now, I don't agree that it should result in my teachers having to do extra work as long as it doesn't burden my teachers anymore if you choose to opt out or as long as the burden on my teachers is minimal. If you choose to opt out, go for it. And I actually am okay with that. Um, I think to your point, the, the, the real issue is I don't, it is dangerous when we start to allow people to dictate what's taught. And so for me, I think the compromise, and I hate the compromise with people who I don't necessarily respect intellectually, but um, for me, the compromise is we need, to be, we, need to, we need to ground or we need to root our curriculum in truth. And if an individual parent chooses for their child not to hear that truth, that is what I'm interested in. And so the danger as far as you have these idiots going to these school board meetings trying to change curriculum. Now, John, you know, you and I both know half these people can't spell curriculum, right? <laughs> but they're in there trying to control what we teach. That is dangerous. Right. It, you know, we don't, we as educators don't go to anybody else's job. And so, right? We don't go to our car mechanic and go, hey, man. I don't need antifreeze, man. I'll put, put more oil. Sir, if we put more oil, your, your engine's going to overheat. You need I don't care. Put more. Right? We don't do that. But in education, we, we landed in this weird place where people think that they are the experts. And so for me, I, the only solution or one of the, or, or the main solution that's been in my head since this phenomenon has arisen is to increase parents' ability to opt out. Let your child opt out, but we're not changing. I am so dedicated and rooted in whatever that may be, whatever that may be, that I'm okay with. Hey, man, you want your child to be a moron? Go for it. 
And that's kind of where I am. And I think um, maybe the solution or the compromise <clears throat> is to expand people's ability to opt out. But I do not think that any way, shape, or form that people who have nothing or, 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 or little to do with education uh, are out here creating curriculum because ultimately it boils down to like their personal feelings and preference, which is dangerous. Again, you, it's, not, it's not about, let's go back to Sarah Huckabee. They didn't eliminate all AP courses. They eliminated African-American history. <laughs> she said something about it teaches hate, which is, which is ironic and hilarious, right? Especially A European AP history, which, correct. Correct, correct, right? In, 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 in so, and so, again, that is dangerous. Uh, so for me, the solution is, to answer your question in a roundabout way, the solution is if, if to increase people's ability to opt out and let them go be stupid on their own. But in, but in, 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 in our educational system, we need, we have to be dedicated to the truth. Because here's the thing. This era will pass. Mm-hmm. Just, just like everything else, right? God willing, and the creek don't rise, as my dad said, right? God willing, we live to be 80, 90 years old. We'll be looking back going, remember in the 1920s when these people lost their damn minds, right? So what's going to happen is this thing, this era will pass. What is going to happen to all of these students who have been led down this path of ignorance, Right. Once this passes. So, again, for me, I think it I think it should be up to the individual parent not to create the curriculum, but to be able to pull their kids. And, and honestly, if, if somebody calls me up in my office, hey, man, you, you know, feel we, you know, and, and that's kind of our, our, you know, that's been some of the conversations I've had with parents on a variety of levels. I've had parents, quote unquote, threaten to take their kids out of my school. Ma'am, do what's best for your, your, your child. Mm-hmm. That's it. But to change what the masses are learning to placate a few racists or bigots, to me, is dangerous. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's what I expected that this conversation would be. And brother, you've always spoken your truth. And, and again, I love what that means for students in the Garden State in your district, um, because you're yeah. going to fight for that and you're going to be committed to it. Um, and as long as it's grounded in the truth, as you talked about, you're not going to back off of it. So, brother, I appreciate you getting up early to record this and yes, do this sir. with me. We're going to do it again uh, in the near, near future. And I thank you for coming on. Yes, sir, brother. Anytime, man. Talk to you soon. That's my brother, Jamil McGinnis, one more time. An asset in the Black Horse Pike Regional School District. Uh, looking forward to doing that again, kicking around different um, issues that are popping up, particularly in public schools. A point of clarification, Sarah Huckabee Sanders attended Waquita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, the same school that her father, Mike Huckabee, attended. So I want to get clear on that. And after the break, we'll get into who's coming to the dean's office and who's on this week's honor roll. Stay tuned. Needing to
to come to the dean's office this week is former Chicago publicist turned Trump operative Trevian Cootie, who was among the 19 named in the indictment of the former president in Fulton County, Georgia. I'm going to give Ms. Cootie, when she arrives in the dean's office, the William O'Neill Anti-Black Award. For those who need the history lesson, William O'Neill was very instrumental in infiltrating the Black Panther Party in Chicago and ultimately leading to the assassination of leader Fred Hampton. Trevian Cootie was brought in from Chicago to Georgia to seek election worker Ruby Freeman and try to encourage her uh, not to testify against the former president. Uh, painting the picture that she was a loose end that needed to be tidied up. I am always disappointed when I hear these narratives of folks who would willingly participate in anti-blackness. Trevion Cootie is no different, so she needs to make an immediate visit to the dean's office. One Hate to laugh, but it was funny looking at her picture this week amongst the indictment pictures. Even an indictment, we're going to stay fly. So good luck to Trevian Kuti now being connected to Donald Trump in one of his four indictments. On the honor roll, I want to give a special shout out to my friend Chris Spencer and his family on the debut of Back on the Strip, featuring all your favorite comics, Tiffany Haddish, Bill Bellamy, on Love, Gary Owen, and many more. I've been friends with the Spencer families for a number of years now. Um, they have shown nothing but love to us as we have settled here in California. Uh, Spencer children get along. Um, so it was special to see this movie go from an idea to something that is on the big screen. Um, it has come out in a time where you know, full promotion power was not able to be put behind it. Uh, the movie did get a SAG after um, waiver at the last minute, but I still want to give a shout out to my guy, Chris Spencer, on his directorial debut, Back on the Strip. Check it out. Great date movie. You won't be disappointed. You will laugh. That's it for me this week. I want to give, again, thanks for all the support and love um, and the encouragement to keep on going. Again, originally I had only planned on doing these four weeks of taking notes just as a summer limited series, but folks have said, keep going, keep doing it. We wanna be on, we wanna talk, so I'm gonna keep going um, at least weekly through the school year to continue having conversations because I do believe education and its issues are that important. So I will see you next week on Taking Notes. Have a good one. Happy new school year. The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.